What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 261 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Scott Haynes, traveling bookkeeper expat here in Mexico. I met Scott when I first arrived here in January and over the course of the last six months, he's been a huge support to me and friend in helping me and encouraging me to learn QuickBooks online and start moving towards the type of work that he's doing, which is helping small businesses do their books. And I can't thank him enough for that support and encouragement. He's really done a lot for me in helping me learn how to use QuickBooks online. He's been very patient. And thank you, Scott. I really appreciate you. But in today's episode, through the course of many conversations over a glass of beer and a shot of mezcal or tequila, Scott has some very cool stories. And one in which that really caught my attention was this adventure he had into the middle of the Mexican desert in search of peyote. A completely unplanned adventure, very spontaneous, the type that I love to hear people just following that intuition, following the compass of their heart, and having some really incredible experiences in doing so. And this conversation happened to fall at a time in which I have been doing book reviews on the author Carlos Castaneda, who back in the day was coming to Mexico and sitting with a Mexican shaman priest and learning all about these indigenous peyote ceremonies. It really caught the attention of a lot of people back in the day, and he had a huge following. And in reviewing these books for my new YouTube channel, Famous Book Summaries, and then having Scott tell his story, I thought it'd be really cool to bring him on so you all could hear as well. So before we jump into that again, thank you to all my Patreon supporters out there. I love and appreciate you. It makes such a difference each month to see that little bit of income come in. And you, as a fan of Misfits and Rejects, if you'd like to support as well, you can head over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects or search Patreon and Misfits and Rejects and give a monthly donation. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. $1, $5. I have Patreon supporters who are giving $25 a month, and that is really helpful. So if you'd like to do that as well, head over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. Or if you'd like to buy a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. That also helps. So thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Scott Haynes. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Scott Haynes, friend, confidant, good drinking buddy, good surfing buddy, good all-around human being in Mexico. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Chapin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. This is nice to be here with you and your lovely plot of land that you're living on here in Mexico and the uh, palm groves and very rustic, my friend. Yeah, yeah. It's really great. About 70 coconut trees and... uh and lime trees to complement it. Yeah, so if you are hearing a bit of the ambiance, that's just we're in nature right now on his homestead and uh, having a good time with this conversation, drinking some mezcal. I should start filming these. I think people would like to see this, but my uh, GoPro just doesn't have enough battery life. Yeah, yeah, I had the same idea. I thought it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 
So you and I were having a fun conversation the other day. There was the uh, Champions League final. We're at this cool little cantina we both found uh, where we like to try to watch soccer games and just relax on weekends. And um, I was expressing to you how in one of my other side hustle ventures, I have started uh, Famous Book Summaries on YouTube. That's it's right. where for all you out there who are worried about AI, well, guess what? I use it every single day and I summarize books with ChatGBT and then I upload those into YouTube and create these book summaries. And I'm happy to divulge how that works, but that's for another episode. Maybe I'll do that in my update. And uh, the most recent books I've been doing is uh, by Carlos Castaneda, an, a writer and anthropologist who studied at UCLA, my alma, my alma mater, and had kind of a cult following for what he was talking about, how he went to Mexico, met this like shaman priest um, in some um, Mexican tribe, I'm assuming. I haven't read his books in a long time. And went on these journeys through like peyote, these peyote, peyote spiritual journeys. And then you chime in and say, oh, by the way, I've done something like that. And you took me and our good friend David down this really cool rabbit hole of story. Um, so that's where the conversation's leading. But just to give our audience a little bit of your background, where are you from originally? I grew up uh, along the Gulf Coast of uh, Mexico in South Texas, and the town is called Corpus Christi. It's a decent-sized town, but uh, it's got a weird uh, kind of uh, dichotomy of being a super beach place where everybody's on the beach all the time, but also a lot of like oil necks and uh, country folk and... Uh, yeah, we all come together and have a good time there on the on the beach. What kind of like culture does that equate to when you when you describe it in that way? Is it like is it a rough crowd or is it just symbiotic where everyone gets along or like oh, yeah, no, I think it's mostly symbiotic like a lot of the older guys growing up surfing, um, you know, they're working on the refineries and somehow, you know, with those the the shift types that they have would find time to be at the beach all the time, you know? And so there's these buff, rough surfer guys and um, just, yeah, it's kind of a weird culmination of guys who are who are not the typical surfer, but, um, you know, making it happen out there on the Gulf Coast and probably rip harder than I do still, you know? Yeah, what kind of, like, lore did you use to grow up hearing about surf culture around the world through that type of surfing because i mean for me as a california guy growing up with the pacific nobody goes to texas to surf except for nowadays to the wave pools and you grew up on the coast where obviously you grew up surfing so what was that like yeah 100 percent um no the lore is these guys you know in the 70s coming to mexico and doing these epic epic adventures and uh so kind of kind of always had Mexico in the back of your mind, like, oh, when I get older, you know, me and my, my friends are going to go and do that same trip, or, you know, Mexico's only 20, actually 16 hours away from, from Corpus, uh, and so, yeah, just kind of that spirit of adventure, so Mexico is kind of like the Indonesia for us, but uh, just for, for a lot closer, a lot closer. So when was your first trip to Mexico? My first trip to Mexico to surf, I was probably about 16 years old. Yeah, 16 years old. 
with your first adventures to Mexico, did you fall in love immediately with it and the culture or was it, a t did it take a while? Like, you know, obviously with the media of today, and it probably hasn't changed much in the last 20, 30 years, Mexico's not really portrayed as a, a place that we as Americans should go and vacation at, right? Especially mainland Mex. You know, you have your Cabos, you might have your Puerto Vallartas, you have your Cancuns, but everywhere else is like no man's land. Like, you talk to people and they're, they haven't heard of a lot of the other places that you've traveled. Yeah, no. Well, for me in Texas and, and Corpus Christi, we weren't too far away from the border, so I'd always grown up, and even not for surfing, just kind of close to Mexico. Um, you know, we'd go down for soccer tournaments, and every single family would cross the border, walk across the border every single time we went down there and go and have dinner at the same place and walk around, you know, the strip. And so, yeah, Mexico had always been close, but by the time I was a teenager, um, yeah, I kind of, kind of wanted that. I was, I was like, I'm going to be in Mexico all the time, you know, surf trips. I'm going to be down there a lot. But uh, yeah, I mean, I really went down there just as a teenager a handful of times. Uh, I drove across with my dad once uh, for to meet up with our uncles and our cousins. Brought down like 12 surfboards because nobody wanted to fly them out. So me and my dad brought all the boards down, drove from Texas. Um, yeah, Saltillo, around the north end of Mexico City, down to Guerrero. And we had an epic tribe, you know. And, and you know, as a 17-year-old, that had like a, a big effect on me. And um, yeah, so... As, as a youth, definitely Mexico was on my radar, but as I got older and other realities came to set in, you know, I, I had a long gap where I didn't come back. What a magical experience to get to share with your pops. I mean, I can only imagine. I've had a few with my dad in Europe, but, you know, again, going back to the stigma of Mexico, I'm interested in knowing more about, like, was there ever a fear factor for you, or was it just, like, since you started going so young, you realized there wasn't anything to worry about and it just became a natural sort of easy place to navigate and feel comfortable in because you were actually boots on the ground seeing what was real and you weren't just relying on, you know, the media or like government reports. <laughs> yeah, well, a combination of both. There was like, yeah, no fear back in the day. Everybody felt super, super comfortable there was a certain point in the, in the mid-2000s, 2009 or so, where everybody kind of started having a change of opinion. And, yeah, so there was there was a while where it was along that border there. It was pretty dangerous. Um, and then coming back after many years, I still kind of had that, that fear, that stigma. There had been so many stories. But, um, yeah, on this kind of journey that we're about to go on or this trip that we're about to discuss I remember the night before kind of having a lot of kind of anxiety to an extent and it was all gone by the time I crossed the border you know I it all built up built up and then you drive through the, the customs and then no one's looking at you you know <laughs> and and yeah it was just kind of from from the north route there, passing through the, the Chihuahuan Desert, it's just 
you know, empty at, at certain points. There's not even radio signal, just freedom highway, you know, so anything you can think of, just happiness. I love being on the road. A lot of people like doing that. And so, yeah, epic road trip times, you know, music, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> drinking Red Bull, whatever you do, you know, just uh, passing time on the road. Whatever, yeah, whatever you're into. And I can relate to that sediment when I crossed in 2000 with my best friend driving to Costa Rica and had not had as much experience as you in Mexico. So there was a lot of fear built up. And having the similar experience where you cross and all of a sudden you see friendly faces and smiling people who have children walking around and living their lives and they're not focused on you. And you're starting to realize that like, you know, this country's full of, I don't know how many millions of people and the odds of everyone being out to get you are so slim. And then you start to realize that everyone's actually out to help you. Yes. Whenever you need it. And you start to settle into this like, hey, I think I've been tricked or lied to a little bit here, you know, or, or made to believe something that's not completely accurate based on the information that's been given to me. Yeah, definitely. The headlines don't apply to the individual, you know, so. or the entirety of a country or the entire <laughs> well, the individual traveler, you know, so like this headline, something bad may have happened. If something bad happens in L.A. You're not going to be like, oh, this incident may happen to me and I mean it may but it's like a shark attack you know yeah and I think about that too if if as we talk about crime in America and we only talked about that in a general sort of statement oh here we go again another you know mass shooting in American school yeah. American schools under threat American you know mass shootings another and you just repeat that dialogue like that's gonna have a way different effect I think on the world perceiving America as a an unsafe place. Yeah, it adds up, and I think that's what happened in Mexico. I know, agree. Things heated up, especially at the border, but, you know, a lot of time has passed, situations have changed, and it, it never was, you know, targeting anybody in specific. It was all the, the drug trafficking and drug traffickers against drug traffickers. Yeah. As yeah. far as I understand it. Yeah. And then so... Obviously, you went through college. Uh, life gets, what, I don't know, more serious after college. Like, what, what was your kind of trajectory into saying, like, hey, I'm done, dude. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pack my car up and leave forever. Yeah, well, um, it was kind of, I met a friend, and uh, she was living in Mexico City, and... Uh, I had recently become self-employed, you know, within the last three months. That's how recent it was. Um, but yeah, it had been my dream to, to travel through Mexico or been a, you know, a big idea of mine. But through my 20s, searching for jobs and all that after school just, you know, wasn't a reality. Either you have a job and you can't travel or you don't have a job and you don't have money to travel. But uh, I'd recently become self-employed doing the bookkeeping that I do now. Uh, met a group of friends uh, that were living in Mexico City, flew out there to visit them, and it blew my mind because it was just a group of people living in a house that, uh, you know, we're all, we're all internationals. And so I flew back, uh, kind of was like, hey, I could do that, and uh, waited for the summer season when surf would be good, packed up my truck, and uh, yeah, just started driving down. That's really cool. So... 
tell me more about what you do for work and how you realized that was something it was a, it was a viable option for you to like sustain yourself on the road. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of been pursuing higher uh, studies of accounting. Um, kind of just liked it. Uh, it. I liked organizing things. You know, it's like cleaning your room. That appealed to me. And obviously, I was looking for a way to make a lot of money. Like, I guess, you know, everybody's like, if you want to retire, you have to have $10 billion. So I was like, fuck. So I started doing that, doing all the licensing and stuff. And I was just like, so not happy, but doing bookkeeping along the way. And then I was like, hey, this is actually kind of cool. You know, working with entrepreneurs, business owners. Did that for about a year. The business closed. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I'm unemployed. Two days later, getting emails and uh and started doing it from my home you know and started cutting out a lot of things that i was doing in the office with you know the bureaucracy of being an employee and and all the chain of command and yeah not only was a lot of the income directed at me but a lot more just of you know sculpting the way i, I did my business and quickly realized that, you know, it was a great, great opportunity for me. And, um, yeah, within three months, I, you know, all my clients were aware of it at the time too, to decide to boogie south and, and work from there. Um, so yeah, yeah. Bookkeeping, I recommend it to anybody for, for a number of reasons to, to start doing it on their own if, if they have that and Scott, just so the audience knows, is the individual who encouraged me to learn QuickBooks online and really helped me along the way, mentored me, and took time and was very patient with me and my learning disabilities as I learned QuickBooks online and now at this point am proficient at it, and it's great. It's awesome, and I'm helping friends and family right now. Hopefully, we'll have a few more clients in the near future, yeah. but thanks to Scott, that's where I'm earning some, some income at this point, so thank you, Scott. Yes, yes. Um, real quick, though, just to backpedal, you said you found yourself really unhappy at one point. Can you take us through, like, what that means in your life situation back in America? Yeah, well, you know, I had just been kind of trying to make money. I had been in a long-term relationship and kind of at that young mid-20s, wasn't making money and that put like tension on the relationship. We parted ways. I was living in my truck, um, which was great. I had a great time doing that. A lot of good memories there too. But at the same time, you know, like commuting to work on a bike and living in a truck and showering at the, at the gym, um, kind of, kind of, kind of drags on you, especially when, you know, you're looking at the timeline in front of you. But, uh, yeah, so I've been studying all along the way at the public library and um, just these tests has like a 50% pass pass rate and it was just kind of not the, the direction that I wanted to go. We're I speaking mean, about accounting right now, becoming an accountant. Yeah, becoming a, a licensed CPA, certified public accountant. And... Um, yeah, I just was like going to work and and studying and just kind of like by the time I was like getting ready for the test because there's four tests, I just kind of was like not ready to 
was, I had already forgot the beginning and, you know, I just wasn't prepared and just was like kind of feeling down on myself. But I felt like I was working as hard as I could, you know, putting everything in health wise, you know, studying wise, was, had a good, had a decent job at this point doing bookkeeping. And yeah, it was just dragging me out. And then, um, and then that business closed, you know, and I had this moment where I was like, shit, you know, now I'm unemployed too. And so just nothing was coming right. And, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, but I just responded to those emails that, that came through and took, took an opportunity. And I remember it was kind of like, kind of rough getting off the ground, uh, you know, calming everybody that I knew and then like assuring them that I could do a good job because I had been working with them, you know, directly for the last year. And, uh, yeah, it was great. You know, I'd always wanted to, to have an independent business or do something like that. I'd always been thinking crazy ideas and finally something kind of landed on my lap and I was able to get started doing it. And, uh, I really enjoyed it. And it sounds like then that combination of having those friends in Mexico City and your newfound freedom and the security of having these individuals who are willing to pay you to now continue working with them gave you that confidence to then like pack it up and say, let's give it a go. Yeah. Yep. Um, big time, uh, I did like a five day volunteer backpacking trip through Big Sur with one of my, with my, one of my idols from Juniper Ridge who recently, uh, well, shortly after he passed away and it was just kind of like jumping off a cliff sort of thing, you know, I just met these people, had a, had a good week doing 30 plus miles through, through the forest. And, uh, yeah, shortly after I'd started planning my my escape to Mexico. It's cool. And this is where it gets interesting because as you've told the story, it's like you have a very professional job. You're, you're professional in every sense of the word since I've known you. And yet you're about to embark on a crazy adventure through Mexico that takes you down this crazy rabbit hole of like psychedelic, like peyote experiences and like I mean, the story you told the other day was so captivating. Like, I was on the edge of my seat, and how you told it was just, like, so far-fetched. And not that I didn't believe you, but it was, like, as we get into it, it's, like, you were in the middle of the desert, and somebody said, hey, just walk that way for 10 miles. And you're, like, you're, like, well, I just, you know, did this hike with my mentor and best friend, and I had the confidence that I could pack enough water and survive. And I, like, there's people who die (laughs) doing this, you know? And so... Kind of take us through, like, as the sequence of events unfolded, how you found yourself in the middle of a desert hunting for peyote by yourself and then went on this journey that, as I mentioned early on in this conversation, I'm reading all about in Carlos Castaneda's books. Yeah. So eventually I had um, gone through Mexico. I'd driven from Central California through the Chihuahuan Desert camped out in Mexico City for a week or two, Oaxaca for the summer, handful of months, and had started making my way back up to, you know, the States, to Texas. So one of the friends along the way um, had been out there and kind of gone with a group and camped out and stayed the night, and she was like, hey, I forgot my tent stakes in this town. Um, 
if you pass by, you know, here's the body of my tent and you can take it. And it was a nice tent. It was pretty much along the way. It's like, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, I'll go by. And so went to this town, great town. I knew peyote was near. Still didn't know if I wanted to do it. Um, although feeling confident in my abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Through past experience of psychedelics. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I was kind of striking out because, you know, it's like looking for for diamonds almost or looking for precious rocks. Like, if you don't know what you're looking for, you know, you could be right by it. It's in the general area. Um, and then I kind of met this character on my last night staying in the town um it was like no you know this stuff grows at a different altitude and right now we're too high gotta drop down go into the desert and um actually there's a it's kind of it's not a it's not a hostel it's just this really cool kind of adobe almost thing with you know four or five rooms and you kind of directed me to the place. He drew me a map too. So there's two maps in this stories. In this story. Take his map, loop around, drive there. It's about an hour away. And uh easily find where I'm going because it's such a small town. And yeah, just kind of like they showed up and kind of already knew what I was looking for and I was like, I'm not really looking for it, but I'll we'll go looking for it just to see it. And yeah, they uh, had drawn me a map. Uh, this town kind of has a, a few permanent residents who aren't from there. You know, they're kind of drifters from all over, um, you know, clad in wool and yeah, just a little bit different than the normal, the normal population. Like there. misfits and rejects to the core. <laughs> yeah. Misfits and rejects to the core, way more to the core than me, you know, and they could see me a mile away, but they didn't, you know, they kind of just would smile you know because i think they know what outsiders come there for and um yeah a guy the guy dropped off some firewood at the night i was the only one staying there um there's a big mesquite tree there having the fire and uh he draws me a map pretty straightforward walk for a really long way straight out of town through this dry creek bed and uh you'll see palmitas or you maybe you'll pass a Pass a, a giant mesquite tree, then you start to see palmitas, which are kind of, I guess, a type of yucca. And then you can branch out from there and start going at an angle into the desert. And by this point, by my calculations, you know, you're five plus miles out from the town on the low end. Um, I have a day pack, small day pack, um, three liters of water. Had eaten before I had left and then just had some fruit because they're like, yeah, you don't want to be eating. They, you know, you want, you want an empty stomach. And, you know, that made sense to me. So I kind of just had some fruits, some apples, some dry, dry oranges, I remember. And yeah, I got started from there. Uh, so I. Dude, as you tell, retell this story, I have these, these images combining in my mind of like the more recent movie, The Beach, where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's in Thailand on the craziest adventure of his life. For anyone who's been in Thailand, it's not crazy at all. And, um, 
somebody draws him a map to where he finds this like island where there's like this this tribe of like expats who have like trying to live in this utopian society and clashing with that thought is the old school 80s film the three amigos i don't know if you've ever seen it but it's a it's a it's a movie set in mexico with three actors who were called down thinking they're supposed to perform when they're actually trying to save the town from like the cartel or like these banditos oh wow and there's a big misunderstanding <laughs> and somebody gives them a map on like how to find this person and they have to literally walk in the middle of the desert and try to find a singing tree and the singing tree will then give them directions to move forward and as you're telling the story with these characters that you're encountering i'm just having these images unfold and wow. through what i know of this story it just gets more and more interesting where you're i mean how how hot was it dude when you're making this walk yeah i feel like it's hotter here I don't know. There, it's such an arid, high desert. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little bit different to where you might not even notice the heat, but that it catches up with you because um, it's so dry. It almost it doesn't feel fresh. Definitely, definitely feels hot. But the sun just beats down. Like you feel the sun directly. You don't sweat as much and feel the heat. Um, so. Is there any concern that you might get lost? Like, or is it pretty straightforward on how to get there and back? It's, it was very straightforward, uh, fortunately. Um, yeah, you're following this dry creek bed at a certain point. And, um, yeah, later on in the story, we'll get to that where I was already high and I was like, all right, right is home, left is awesomeness you know i want to see what else is and so i just got to go left and then if i want to turn around just turn around and go right you know? okay <laughs> um, see i continue on then so i mean when i first really started learning about peyote through carlos castaneda was about the same time i or just after i had tried to play professionally in belgium and the friend i was staying with told me once that the only way a person can ever find peyote is if they're on peyote. And that stuck with me for some reason. And I brought that up to you, and you're like, that's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like what came first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. But there was there was some hearsay. You know, I had some friends who do it, who had done it, and um, it was there's these sort of things that they would say that didn't really make any sense. Like, you can't take too much or... Um, you know, the peyote, if, you, if the peyote doesn't want you to do it, then you won't be able to find it and stuff like that. So that's what I, I once I had made it out there, um, kind of had the mindset. I was like, all right, I don't care if I do it or not. If I find one, then maybe that's true and I should do it, you know. And I was on the fence up until the very point where, you know, I was like, oh, wow, there's a peyote, you know. And then I dug out my trowel and uh and dug it out in you know the, the correct sort of specific way that you're supposed to do it which i didn't even know how to do which was the cool thing i got out there and i really didn't even know i didn't didn't have any idea what i was doing so like being just like an amateur naturalist was kind of like all right you know let's do it do this right and kind of started just using common sense to to proceed it is concerning for those listeners who are sitting here uh, saying, well, common sense sometimes in an environment where you don't actually know the flora and fauna can lead to death. 
I mean, there's, you know, Into the Wild, where uh, Alexander Supertramp is eating a fucking, like, potato root that he thinks is safe, and then yeah. he's dying in a bus, you know? Yeah. No, that's a very real concern. Um, peyote is very distinct. Um, though I don't know if I had seen it at that point, but uh, it's very distinct. Okay. Um, so you felt confident. And felt confident. so the first time you saw it, you're like, that's it. And then you dig it out. And then how do you ingest it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Cause there's, there's a whole bunch of them. There's big ones, there's small ones. And, um, yeah. So I guess I had picked up on along the way that the bigger ones are safer are, are, are better for the environment of peyote because this is a, a thing that, you know, it is, it is hunted and I don't know, I don't know the exact stats, but, uh, you know, it could go instinct. It is endangered, uh, or endangered of being over, over harvested. Um, and that's something I discussed with people in town and they said, you know, no, yes, that's true, but, uh, you know, have at it. So I took them at their, for their word, and um, you ingest it just by eating it. I mean, there's ways to prepare it, but if you're a total amateur like me in the middle of the desert by yourself, you just kind of dig it up uh, below its fruiting body. It's a cactus, but it doesn't stand tall like a cactus like you would think. It's just kind of, um, you know, like a little pumpkin embedded in the ground. Like a truffle. Yeah, like a truffle maybe, yeah. And so you dig these guys out, um, assuming, you know, it's the right size, it's the one you want. And, um, and it has these sort of, doesn't have spines, but it has these cottony um, little, um, you know, fibers. orifices. Yeah, that, yeah, fibers that you would, that you would, that you pick out. Mm -hmm. um, they're kind of spread out along the, the body of the, of the cactus and, um, and then you wash it off cause it's dusty. And then it, the most basic, you just eat into it like an apple, <laughs> like an apple. Wow, dude. And was it tasty? Was it vile? You know, you always hear about how bad it is. And the first one is inviting, you know, like, wow, it wasn't as bad as everybody says. And so I took a big bite, eat up the first one quite easily. Don't even know if I had used any of my fruit. Um, but I used a good portion of my water. So I quickly learned that I had another bag filled out up with water, and that was just my washing bag. Because I was like, shit, if I keep on doing this with all these things, I'm going to dump out all my water. But yeah, the first one went down pretty good. Um, it's kind of kind of crunchy, but not quite as crunchy as an apple. Kind of tastes like aloe. Um, yeah, not the best thing you've ever eaten. And you're consuming it knowing that the dose you're taking is safe for you and is going to take you on a journey that's balanced. <laughs> that's the, the catch. Yeah. Um, that's where I was kind of leaning on bravado. I don't know. I was just, they, another one of the things was, I think I said it earlier, was you can't take too much because, you know, you just can't, or, you know, <laughs> that's, that's just all I knew. Um, so, yeah, I was just eating it, 
and eating it. Um, more, more and more. Like more you consume that one, then another, then another. Yeah, I think I got to about three good, you know, five or six year old peyotes. Like apple size. Apple size, size of my my palm. And I was like, all right, you know, let's let this set in. But I still had no idea if that was enough or not. Um, my friends had had, you know, prepared doses where they like blended it and, you know, did it totally different, stayed out the whole night. Um, and so, yeah, at a certain point I was like, all right, that's enough, you know, and ate three, four, whatever it was. And then I was like, all right, I start walking around and I started, you start feeling the similar sort of cues that you're about to get high on a psychedelic there's some, you know, yawning, just this sort of weird lightness of the, I don't know, your throat, your, just like, your face starts to feel a little bit different, maybe, just this, your eyeballs, the pressure behind them, I don't know, just these little cues where I was like, okay, this is familiar, fine, you know. Yeah, so I think I did, you know, waited for a solid 45 minutes, an hour, and um what just walking around the desert waiting for it to kick in yeah just well when you get out there i like cactus um i'm not you know by any means i can't identify every single one but you know there's this aquatillos that are out there really tall spiny things that are just amazing you know and so i was just walking around doing you know checking these things out and um yeah, just enjoying the desert. Um, at a certain point, I laid down uh, under a mesquite tree. There was this big spiral of rocks because they heard a lot of goats out there. And and then, um, yeah, I was like, at a certain point, I was like, yeah, I'm high, I'm good, um, but not really that high. And so I continued to look for them. Uh, I guess one. Well, no, I guess later on, I was just kind of laying down, reassessing the, the situation. And um, at one point, you told me that you had a voice come saying, "Like, seek me out more. Like, you haven't taken enough of me. You need to. You need to seek me out more to consume more of me." Yeah. So I don't remember at, at which stage that was because I remember I was being super conservative. You know, playing it safe, started to get high. Um, yeah, and so I, I think I kind of had this midpoint section where I laid down under the tree and was was plenty high. Still had only been out there in the field harvesting for, you know, maybe an hour. And I was like, I got a whole day to kill out here. I got to get up now. Now I got a good buzz. Got to get up and frolic a little bit, you know, and... Uh, yeah, I think I started passing by these peyotes, and that's where it started talking to me, you know. Um, it was like, yeah, I passed up a handful, and it was just like, all of a sudden they disappeared. And I was like, what the hell? You know, just a few minutes ago, I could throw a rock and hit, hit one, you know, and now I just cannot find one or whatever. And um, so I was like kind of playing into the mysticism of, you know, of finding it or it'll find you or which comes first or however that plays out. It's like, all right, the next one I find, 
I'll eat it. I'll eat it, you know? And uh, so then all of a sudden, it, like a magic mirror just like popped up right in front of me. And I was like, bam. So I ate a few more and it's been a few years and then I was high as balls. And so <laughs> it gets a little bit dodgy, the timeline. But hours spent out there just, just, uh, just frolicking, you know? I took off my clothes. Um, I think I just took off my pants. I still had my shirt on. <laughs> super weird, but just running around in my boots because that's how I, I just felt super comfortable. Mm-hmm. Had never done anything so fun. Um, it was like um, it was like a terrarium. Everything was perfectly perfectly placed. You think of the desert being kind of like dangerous, and I was wary of snakes or scorpions or whatever, but. I was like just dancing between these cactuses because they're everything. There's perfectly spaced, like it was like a garden. Somebody had actually planted it, mm. and just you know, I'd see a really tall cacatillo and be like, "All right, I'm gonna boogie that way." Just kind of like zigzag through, kind of dancing, just dancing the literally desert dancing with, your pants just, off. with my pants <laughs> off and my you know my well-worn boots and just like loving it. And it sounds like, yeah, you were in a flow state of sorts and very connected with nature. And was that how the whole trip unfolded for you? Like, did it ever get so psychedelic or so overwhelming or so like, what were the insights that you had to make us understand kind of the experience? Yeah. Um, somebody had really a- recently asked me that, like, did I change? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I didn't. Um, I feel like it was a recreational experience for me. Um, so I didn't go super deep psychedelia where I'm like hearing the Beatles and mandalas and, and, uh, and losing control. So it, in one way, yeah, that was great. I had a blast dancing around, being goofy. Um, there's also to say you could do that sober. Um, so, yeah, I think a shaman, well, shaman, call it what you want, but like a guided experience mm-hmm. might be really cool. Um, might be really cool to, to do, but I didn't experience that. It was just kind of a goofy, playful, kind of mild high thing. Mm. <laughs> um, I recently talked to a mutual friend of ours who actually comes from the area in which you discovered the peyote, and she told me a story of how it accentuates and highlights and heightens your senses in a way that like you see perfectly in the dark, you hear everything. You are so in tune with nature. And as you just described, you were as you navigated and saw the world as this perfectly placed, perfectly curated desert, you know, as if someone had planned it in that way. Yeah. You're paying attention to things. You're looking more closely at, finite details your brain is just stimulated in a way that uh your brain is just loving all the all the things that you know the desert provides you know so it's not that sort of melancholy like oh this is my life your your kind of your brain is firing having a blast and guiding you to, to to do things that you love and uh yeah pay attention yeah, I think, um, and the reason we're not saying where you went is because I, I've recently watched the, the Netflix documentary with Michael Pollan 
where he talks about all the various psychedelics and um, somebody I know is reading the book right now and you know it can ruin an environment because it is like you said potentially going to go extinct and there are a lot of seekers out there trying to find something outside of themselves to give them direction when they're lost and uh, it's been documented plenty of times throughout history where like in in the movie like the original uh, scientist who went into Mexico and found the the mushroom shamans you know and then told the world about it like completely ruined it <laughs> like not just that like oh I can't go experience it now it's like no like ruined the lives of the individuals from these little pueblos who were you know for hundreds of years thousands of years growing these intuitive sort of experiences and helping one another medicinally through mushroom therapies and then just having this like mushroom tourist come down and just destroy it yeah there definitely is a deeper way to experience it it definitely has a a rich past um where i fall into that i don't really know yeah i'm just a tourist as well um but definitely if you're going out there if you're seeking it uh just be conscious you know don't be respectful be, be, be respectful conscious. look up how to do it the best size the best age um of the peyote to eat just yeah just be respectful for sure yeah i think and that wasn't directed at you as more i mean specifically because like you're a solo traveler in the middle of nowhere like what it took to get you there takes a lot of guts i mean you are a seeker that seeks farther than 99.9% of most people in this world. Um, and that's why I brought you on because it's, it's commendable, it's respectable, and it's interesting, I think, for people to hear what lengths people will go to, whether it's legitimately trying to find that specific thing or like yourself, you kind of stumbled into it and you were open and willing to embrace it and experience it, which is how I know you now that I know now that we're friends is like, you're just pretty much open to everything when it comes and you deal with it in the moment where there's more people out there. I think who are more calculated and concerned about safety and security, um, job security, you know, like whatever, a lot of the, the topics we touched upon early in the conversation. Yeah. And so with that said, like your experience lasted for how many hours roughly? Well, I mean, ended up being like all day long pretty much with only three liters of water in the middle of the desert only three liters of water in the middle of the desert um yeah i mean it took me a good while to get out there longer than i expected solid three and a half four hour walk had that much to get back and i guess if this is to scare any of the sort of just casual seekers or tourist seekers who are going out with intention it is a federal crime and so maybe that was in the back of my mind, this sign coming into town with, like, bullet holes in it. Uh, yeah, saying that it's a federal crime to pick peyote. Um, so that may have been in the back of my mind, but, yeah, I decided to come back at a certain point. And, uh, and I had had this range finder that, you know, like a single, single scope to see into the distance and it's kind of the classic uh, psychedelic paranoia thing. Um, I see red and blue lights, and um, I had to walk back that direction. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to walk back to the red and blue lights. 
because um, you're thinking cops. Like, so there's I'm cops thinking, waiting I'm for th- you. I've done something illegal. I'm yeah. high. Yeah. And they know it. Yeah. Like, we've all seen, like, the movies Blow or something mm-hmm. like that, where there's helicopters and he's, like, flushing the drugs down the toilet. And the only difference was that was real. So I roll into the... I roll off the trail, roll off the dry creek. and Like army roll? Like you're that high to where you're like literally like in commando pretty, state of mind? Pretty much. i pretty sure I did. I was like, <laughs> they'll never find me. You know, like I had, I had my clothes back on at this point. And yeah, I extended my trip, you know, and because I was like, oh, blade safe, Scott, you know, let's walk back now. And yeah, so now I'm off the trail still a straight line to get back but i'm just finding bigger these barrel cactus that are literally the size of a barrel and you know a million needles on them you can play them like a guitar and just like just kind of losing it just dweebing out on just like the fine details of having fun out there some crystals and cool rocks but yeah i blasted my you know it was a tough trip uh, on three liters of water but I don't know what time I left. I think I left in the morning and I got back in the evening. So were the cops waiting for you? And, oh, yeah. About the cops. It was a ribbon. Meaning what? It, what do you mean a ribbon? It was a shiny, shiny silver ribbon that I probably walked past. Like um, stuck on barbed wire stuck, fence or something? Exactly. Stuck on barbed wire fence <laughs> that I had seen from a distance reflecting the light. So I blasted these hours. Uh, just, yeah, just kind of, I don't even remember if I was had remembered the Federales then, you know, I had seen it once and then like rolled off and went on to that sort of side mission where I was some sort of, you know, secret agent <laughs> through the desert. Playing the environmental drums of a, a barrel cactus. Yep. And then closer into town, um, a pack of dogs was out there, saw me from a mile away, started barking and um, kept on getting closer and closer and eventually saw they were with a man who was herding some goats and uh he was just this burly character chest hair out big white mustache straw hat making these deep guttural voices uh herding his his goats and i was like oh shit you know this guy what am i doing here you know and uh that's what he asked me he said you know i don't live in it in his deep voice and me just be, in, you know, instantly assuming the guilty party. I was like, "Oh, I'm walking, I'm hiking," and uh, and then he, you know, he's like, "No, where, where are you from? You know, where are you from?" And you know, like, "I'm from Texas." Uh, he didn't even, you know, and just like, "Oh, it's beautiful out here, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's beautiful." <laughs> the surrounding the 360 view of this place is, you know plateaus and mountains and just for kilometers and kilometers just into the sunset thousands of cactus as far as i can see and you wish you could see it all you know and i'm sure he's seen a whole bunch of it (laughs) but he's willing just to you know he i don't know if he knew or suspected what i was up to but uh he didn't care and yeah but uh didn't spend enough time with him and I, i i shortly shortly continued on into town as the listeners, as I go and into our minds and think about the one takeaway that you might have gleaned from this experience, like, can you deep dig deep in your intuition and give us one little morsel of like, 
something? Yeah, I would say that psychedelia is great and it's amazing, but um, at the same time, essentially we're always high. You know, like our brain is just like it's a series of chemical reactions. So, you know, some people have done it, some people haven't, but uh, it's, it is what it is. You know, it's, it's a different version of yourself. You always have that within you. Um, and it's attainable through other avenues. It's attainable through, you know, every day, you know. Mm. So, yeah, I did peyote. That doesn't make me enlightened, you know, like at all. Um, life's, life's a trip. And no, it's, it's, and great. it's in itself. That's great. And yeah, I like that. I like that. That's very profound in that you can attain, you can glean something that is profound in, an, in a way that you don't have to ingest something that's going to take your brain to another dimension. Like yeah. there's tons of breathing techniques. There's yoga. There's surfing that you and I do every day in, in waves that are super dangerous that I think we both have spiritual experiences in <laughs> yeah. that uh, will get us there as well. But the peyote story for me, like I said in the beginning of the conversation, is just for whatever reason, the Carlos Castaneda book that I, I read, which was Journey to Ixlan, has been coming up over and over for me. Yeah. And then just the circumstance of me starting famous book summaries, like I just started doing his series of books. And for whatever reason, that is doing really well on, on YouTube right now for me, relative to my other books that I've been summarizing. So it was cool to hear your story the other day and connect with it and bring you on and, and share it. But just so the audience now kind of, we come full circle, like, so that experience ended, did you go back to Texas or did you say, hey, no, Mexico's for me, now I got to go seek out a new new spot? Yeah. Um, yeah, that had been like my big branching out uh, from my regular pattern. Went to my hometown, thought was, everybody's going to be stoked to see me, and they were, but kind of found out that everybody's just doing their own shit when I got there, and I was like... You know, hey, um, now I got to go somewhere, like, because I don't live here and I don't live in California. Um, and so I saw the buddies, um, was like, you know, how long do you stay here? You know, because if you want to get the best experience, you got to stay with them and, you know, you might have one night off. And so that was, that was a big experience for me because I'd been a long, away from my hometown for a long time. And, uh, like how many years? a decade or so okay and so i'd always imagine like oh i'm gonna go home and it's gonna be and i'm just you know it's like the waves were shit everybody's working or doing their own thing girlfriends wives not in the bad way but that's just the pattern of life and saw my brother saw my niece uh forgot some mushroom chocolates in my brother from my brother's freezer <laughs> that sucks <laughs> um but yeah, and then I, I'd, yeah, I'd volunteered at a music festival in, uh, in Joshua Tree. And so I had something to look forward to, drove all the way across the West again. And, uh, yeah, I kind of just had to start over at that point. Um, mm -hmm. so I was looking for a settling point. And, uh, yeah, so I did the music festival, working along the way, and then, uh, kind of just, yeah, kind of started a new adventure of like figuring out how to do this sort of lifestyle, you know, because uh, there's got to be some sort of continuity, continuity, and um, 
just figuring out where I'm comfortable and how I want to how I want to live. So, finished the trip and uh, I guess uh, moved in a new direction of uh, you know I'm not in Mexico, but uh, figuring it out. You know? Yeah. But I think for the listeners, that since you are now in Mexico, like what drew you back? Like how how did you find yourself in this situation that we're sitting here having this conversation? Yeah. Well. What I ended up doing was, um, shoot, what did I do? So, yeah, when I got back, oh, wow. So when I got back, I started renting a remote office, and it was late 2019. And um, I think we all know what happened a few months into 2020. Uh, so I got my got a storage unit, started uh Hanging out with the friends, doing going to the regular spots and whatever, and then uh, living in my my car at this point, intentionally. Um, but uh, yeah, COVID hit, and so I embarked on a. I went north to the border of Canada, uh, mountain biking, which was like a new fad for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> went went north to Canada, looped through the north. Uh, Montana, came south, Utah, Colorado, um, and uh, was in Texas, and it it froze over, and um, I decided to to come to Mexico and leave a car with a friend. Uh, so I flew to Mexico, and uh, shortly decided I, you know, was like, wait. You know, I found a place here where I'm at now where I could see that sort of thing I was looking for of, uh, you know, friends not being super remote or doing anything crazy, living a, you know, a normal life in my view. And, um, yeah, I, I sold the car and stayed. That's and, cool, and dude. here I am now, yeah. That's cool. I mean, yeah, your your bookkeeping afforded you this unusual freedom that most people don't have where you can be making money any, anywhere. And since you are very adept at living inexpensively, you found yourself capable of doing everything you just described, you know, from doing the next thing, then transitioning back and then COVID hits and obviously not feeling fulfilled where you were. So it's like, fuck, I'll go back. And then finally finding that like grounding group of people or situation where you decided to stay and and here we are chatting about it dude yeah yeah it's really great feel really fortunate and for the listeners i mean he's on this beautiful you know coconut palm farm there's chickens in the background they they live in a very authentic real way which is relative but it means to me that it's like the luxuries that we have in america aren't necessarily afforded to them on a daily basis. And, and I, and through our conversations, you, you love that more than anything else. It yeah. gets frustrating, but you do love it. Yeah. It gets frustrating. Keeps you on your toes. Um, at the end of the day, I, you know, I love it. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with the good sweat. Right. So if you could talk to one listener right now, who's heard your story and just desires that trip, that, freedom from a job that freedom from a toxic relationship what would you say to them to encourage them to to maybe take that first step yeah yeah that uh, topic 
ranges, you know, it has some range, but, um, you know, for me, um, it was just kind of going in the direction that you want to go. Um, of course it has to be a good direction or a positive direction, but that's something, you know, internally that you have to, to, to discuss with yourself. But yeah, just, um, yeah, I don't want to sound too generic because everybody's like, find your craft, listen to your inner voice or anything like that. Cause I didn't really do any of that. I kind of failed into it, but yeah, just, uh, always trust in yourself, always love yourself the most. And, um, just have fun, you know, like do things that are fun to you and, uh, don't be afraid to, to be lonely because, uh, yeah, just, just experience it to its fullest, you know, and, and your, your self experience is, is the best thing that you can ever, you can ever do. So just experience every single emotion, you know? Thank you, Scott. Love you, brother. Yeah, bud. Awesome, Scott. Thank you so much for your time, friendship, and patience with me as you help me with QuickBooks Online. I'm looking forward to many more stories, shots of mezcal, and beers as we continue to enjoy our lives here in Mexico over the next few years. Folks, thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that on Patreon.com. Head over there, search Misfits and Rejects or Patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. All donations are appreciated. Nothing is expected. And if you'd rather go to my website and purchase a t-shirt, that's super helpful as well. It's a great way to support. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and grab a t-shirt. Thank you again, folks. I think you all are so very beautiful and I'll see you in next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.